0: You're listening to CardiCast, a podcast about galleries, libraries,
1: archive and museums brought to you by New Cardigan, an Australian-based glam community.
0: Hello, so welcome Nikki Anderson to CardiCast. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm a librarian um, in Toowoomba on the lands of the Jawa Gardals, people in the Darling Downs region. So I am an open education and equity practitioner. So my current role is open education content librarian. So I work with academic authors to produce open textbooks, implement open assessment in courses, understand open pedagogy and help with open research. But I also do a lot of work in the diversity and inclusion space um, as a freelance speaker and writer. I'm disabled and deaf, so I've got significant visual impairments. I'm also fully deaf in my left ear and moderately deaf in my right. And I've worn a hearing aid since that um, age of 18. So I bring a lot of lived experience into the work I do.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. That's a pretty exciting job title uh, and a pretty exciting role. How did you get into that role? You know, tell us about your career journey.
1: Yeah. So my career journey, like I've always had a connection to libraries. So I've always been a, an avid reader and You know, even in primary school, the school library was such a safe space for me Mm -hmm. and the school librarians were really empowering, Um, you know, especially since I was quite sick as a child, had heaps, multiple operations and it was such a safe space for me to be around. And, you know, the librarians even made me a library monitor and I got my own little badge and I got to help around in the library, but I never considered it as a career originally just because I was interested in so many different things. But when I graduated high school, I went on to complete a Bachelor of Arts. And after I finished that, I still was a bit clueless of what I wanted to do with my career. And randomly someone said to me one day, hey, you know, you'd be a great librarian. And I really took that comment on board and I actually went on to complete a postgraduate degree in librarianship. And so while I was doing my studies, I had a prac placement at the University of Southern Queensland Library and they actually offered uh, me a short-term job during my prac placement and that job was actually for a national project that was taking the learning management system of the university and repurposing it into a learning management system that could work without internet access for incarcerated students in prison. So it was my role to be the librarian on that project and to help with all the copyright issues because there were, were plenty of copyright issues considering that they couldn't use resources from the internet and no databases. So I had to resource alternatives, you know, help with data cleansing. And it was actually my first exposure to open educational resources and the benefits of open educational resources. So that was a really wonderful first job. And while I was doing that contract, the university was going through a restructure. And so since I already had my foot in the door, I was actually um, eligible to apply for the internal positions that were advertised. And so being a new graduate, I applied for anything and everything. And I actually ended up getting the part-time copyright officer position. I stayed in that position for about four to five years. But since it was only part time, I paired it with other positions. I've been a metadata librarian. I work in our HR department a bit as a diversity inclusion officer. And I also spent three years working with our first nations college. So doing things like tutoring, marking, um, and being a research assistant. And then in 2020, a secondment opportunity came up for the open education content librarian role. And I applied for that and I was lucky enough to get that. And I've been in that role ever since, you know, working on really cool projects with open textbooks and open assessments. So, yeah, that has been my career journey so far.
0: That sounds like so much fun. <laughs> so a real range of roles there. As we hear so often on CardiCast, you know, as a series of serendipitous events have sort of taken you on an interesting journey to where you belong. <laughs> it sounds like.
1: Yeah, really has been. Yeah,
0: it's been wonderful. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, you've you've given us a good segue there. So you have been working on some exciting projects and one of those is an open educational resource called Enhancing Inclusion, Diversity, Equity and Accessibility in Open Educational Resources. So it's a little bit uh, meta in a way because it's an OER about OERs. I was hoping you could uh, talk to us a little bit about that. I guess uh, p- perhaps a brief explanation of, of um, IDEA and, and why it's important and I guess why you thought it was important to talk about that in the context of OER. IDEA
1: is actually um, an acronym that originated in the diversity inclusion movement in the United States. So IDEA stands for inclusion, diversity, equity, and the A sometimes stands for accessibility and it sometimes stands for anti-racism. The reason I started working with IDR and OER is firstly because of my own personal experience as a person with a disability. So I've always had um, issues with access, but also because I think there's this notion that since OER is, inherently good and it's founded on social justice principles but i sometimes think people think that the inclusion work will just take care of itself yes it's just it's
0: just magically inclusive It's magically
1: inclusive because it makes people oh yeah makes people feel good and you're doing something good but there is a lot of work behind making it good and and inclusive and diverse and i want people to realize that you know open doesn't equal access. It doesn't equal inclusion. And just putting content onto open platforms doesn't make it accessible. It's actually a lot of work that, you know, goes into making um, things accessible. And because I do so much public um, speaking around diversity and inclusion, when other universities started creating open textbooks, I would get lots of questions about, you know, how do I write good alternative texts for this really complex diagram? Or where do I find diverse and inclusive imagery that has a Creative Commons license. Um, so I was, you know, collating all these questions and the questions I get from my academic office as well. And so I structured the guide around those questions. And then in 2021, I was at the virtual Creative Commons Summit and I listened to a group of librarians in America talk about how they adapted OpenStack framework for um, diverse um, inclusive representation in OER. And, I thought, oh, wow, well, that's such an awesome framework. It's got heaps of considerations that, you know, authors or other librarians can follow. And in the spirit of openness, instead of just rewriting something from scratch, I thought just use that as a foundation, you know, for my own institution. And because it was just a framework, I wanted to really build the practical elements around the guide. So, you know, how do you do accessibility testing? And I also added some case studies and good practice examples. So like I like to learn from good practice examples. Like People can tell me so many times how to do something, but if I don't see it or see an example, it kind of just goes over my head. I'm exactly
0: Uh, the same. Yeah.
1: Yes. So that's what I kind of added um, to the guide as well.
0: That makes perfect sense. So you're getting lots of questions like, oh, probably it'd be easier if I just wrote this all down. We have the existing framework, but the framework. Yeah, I, I noticed the framework when I was reading your your resource and preparing for this interview. It, it's, yeah, I mean, you you've put a lot of meat on the bones of that uh, framework. That's that's solid. But if you're new, if you were new to the work, it would be quite difficult to sort of know how to put those principles into practice. I suppose.
1: That's right. And I also wanted to um, contextualize it for the Australian audience. So I did add chapters on indigenization and decolonization and cultural inclusion. And you know, in that chapter, I wanted people to think critically about open, like open and copyright are Western concept, and they're not always in align with um, indigenous ways of you know knowing and doing and sharing. But I also added accessibility and usability chapter because that wasn't in the original framework and also a chapter on anti-racist and open pedagogy, which also included um a section on trauma informed to practice and education too, which is I think is an important part of higher education and working with OER material, especially sensitive or stressing
0: material. Yeah, yeah, right. That brings me to my next my next question I wanted to talk to you, or topic I wanted to talk to you about. Don't want to talk to you about a question. In, in this resource, you are described as an editor rather than an author. And you've got quite an extensive and, and actually pretty impressive list of peer reviewers or, or perhaps the co-authors. Maybe you can speak to that. You've sort of touched on this. Uh, you know, you've got lived experience of, of disability, but you are covering all of these other things around indigeneity and so on. So can you tell us about I mean, it, perhaps it's obvious, but but maybe can you tell us a little bit about why it was important to get a really wide range of peer reviewers and how you went about that process and, and sort of what that brought uh, to the text?
1: Yeah, so it was really important for me to get a number of peer reviewers with different lived experience. Um, so obviously, I only have experience as a disabled person, and so I wanted to make sure that um, I had peer reviewers that covered all sorts of um, equity groups and also peer reviewers that were in different positions. So in my um, text, I have nine peer reviewers. Two of them are actually students at the university and two are academics and the rest are um, librarians. And so, you know, I had invited autistic librarians, disabled academics, had an Aboriginal lecturer, and a number of people who are identified as LGBTIQ+, plus because, you know, it covered such a diverse area. I wanted that diverse perspective. And the peer reviewers were so generous with their feedback and not just in terms of typos, but, you know, also pointing out my unconscious biases and things that I kind of worded or phrases that were a bit, um, you know, exclusive in hindsight. So they really elevated the text to what it is and it was a lot of work like it's a big text and like one student went through the whole thing and marked up so much and and you know it was really kind of them so a big thank you to all my peer reviewers.
0: Fantastic yeah no it, was, um, it, it is a very impressive text and, uh, and as I said I, I thought it was a pretty impressive list of uh, reviewers <laughs> to, to be honest. I guess I also wanted to kind of ask what do you think are the going to be the next Big challenges in in OER so obviously accessibility and and idea uh, all those aspects are are crucially important but open scholarship and OER in particular seem to be moving quite evolving quite rapidly in the last few years so um, you've sort of been in the game for a while a bit of a, a leading light in Australia I'm interested in your thoughts about what you think's coming down the road in the next few years
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges for OER is that national advocacy, you know, like it would be really wonderful to have federal funding. Like when I look at all my colleagues in the US and Canada and, you know, their government, you know, spends millions of dollars in supporting this. And although OER is free for students, it's not free to make. And to make sustainable OER there needs to be you know a better plan in place and so i think that is one of the major challenges and you know it's nice to see the oer community coming together recently especially under the leadership of the council of australian university librarians and i look forward to seeing how that evolves um but i also think the other challenge is upskilling people like the job as of an open education librarian is relatively new and you know it does require skills that are a bit different to Um, Other web roles. so, you know, there is that learning design element, upskilling people in how to make accessible and usable content, understanding equity and diversity, and also how to collaborate, you know, with diverse communities. Yes, I think they're the two major challenges that will come um, in the next few years, but I'm really excited to see how things progress.
0: Mm, mm. And, yeah, I, I know what you mean about these. These US state governments that are just pouring literally billions of dollars into hardcore textbook replacement programs. I'm interested though, Nick, in your views about if you had, if you know you're the, the OER Czar of Australia and um, had access to that money, where, where would you be spending that? So you've talked about upskilling and resourcing librarians and, and making sure that the resources are really accessible and so on. But what do you think is the biggest challenge in terms of actually getting things produced that you would spend that money on?
1: You know, for me personally, when I think about what I spend the most time on when I produce a book, like it takes me on average about 10 to 12 months to do a really quality job of producing an open textbook. And when I calculate what I spend the most hours on, um, it is um, copyright unfortunately yeah, and, the, right. and the complexities yeah. of sorting out copyright issues but you know I'd also love for more funds to be put towards editing you know I have a writing degree but you know I'm not an editor and you know it's, um, when people when academics have the funds for edit- editors um, the quality is much higher and it would be nice but editors were a part of you know every um, open textbook to have that quality and you know I'd also love to have students involved more And to pay students for their time you know i think that's something that you know we could work towards like one of my personal projects that i would love to do is you know for disabled and visually impaired students to you know test the open textbooks i create and tell me if they really are accessible um you know like Mm. i'm not an accessibility expert i kind of do the basics of what I know how and I've done the best I can possibly be but I know there's um, ways to improve and I want students to be involved in that improvement Um, and I would love to pay for that as well and to pay peer reviewers as well um, because peer reviewing does take a lot of time and most people do it out of the goodness of their heart so yeah, so that's me on a personal day to day sort of level. Mm. Um, but you know, in the bigger scope of a you know national agenda, I I do like what calls doing in the OER collective that there is that infrastructure in place, and that you know all the Australian Open texts are going onto that platform, and it has that centralization. and you know I think that's um really powerful
0: too. That all makes sense. It'll make sense. So, putting some resources behind the, all the lovely statements about our. <laughs> things that we'd, we'd like um, is very important. So that, yes, the, the last thing you want to do is sort of be exploiting the very people that you're trying to make your resources more accessible to. So
1: that's
0: right. I, I definitely hear you there. Nikki, you're a very busy woman. So we we don't want to keep you for too much longer, but I'm hoping you might have some tips or, or resources in the idea or OER or open scholarship space that you might like to point our listeners to and we can pop some links in our show notes to um, sort of help them out if they want to know more about these topics or if there's just some awesome library related thing that you want people to know about
1: yeah so for people that are kind of new to OER and idea and social justice I would recommend them to read Sarah Lambert's work on social justice and open textbooks I think that's Really great work, and that everyone should be reading. That other one I really like is "Open Up the Margins: Critical Perspectives on Open Education," which was edited by um, Maha Bali, and you know that encourages people to really have a critical perspective on OER. But yeah, in, in terms of my tips, like you know, I think you know, be kind on yourself. Like it is a lot of work in this space, and it's a lot of laborious work, and just you know, be open and collaborative. And if you're new to the open education community, like please reach out. We're really welcoming. So, you know, I'm part of the ASALITE OEP SIG. We welcome new members. I'd love, love to have a chat with anyone in Australia who is doing work. So please don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help or advice from colleagues across Australia and New Zealand.
0: Brilliant. Yes, I can uh, I can attest to that. They're all a lovely bunch of people, very friendly. I think that's that's probably as much of our time, much of your time, I should say, as we should take up. Nikki, thank you so much for your time, and um, we'll pop links to all of those things in the show notes so listeners can go off and explore more. Uh, we'll pop in some contact details for Nikki as well, and looking forward to seeing what comes next out of your space at USQ.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure thanks for listening folks if you'd like to get in touch with new cardigan you can find us on twitter instagram and facebook or at our website newcardigan.org we hope you've enjoyed this episode remember to like and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher if you want to know more about new cardigan check out our website
0: for events merchandise news and more and remember folks jfdi